Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, my name is Victoria Phillips, and I am here with Ian Hembro, and we are here today to discuss a new book, Ralph Edwards' Rare Events, the inside story of a worldwide quest for safer medicine, which came out in January 2023 with Springer Press. So Ian, welcome. Tell us a bit about yourself first. I'm a visiting scholar at uh, Wolfson College at the Oxford Centre for Life Writing, Oxford University. So I've come to writing fairly late in life, really. I've spent most of my working life working in uh, the housing industry in the UK. Wonderful. Um, so tell us um, tell us about Rafe. Who and what is this book about? Yeah. Um, so I think I would go as far as to say I think Rafe is, is, is a, a great living scientist. He's 80 this, later this year. Um, and he originally trained as a physician, as a medical doctor. And the book is about his whole life, but in particular, his journey into moving from general medicine into becoming a really world-leading figure in the safety of medicines and the science that's grown up around that. So the technical term for the science of making medicines as safe as they can be is called pharmacovigilance. So pharma as in related to um, medicines, co, something you do collaboratively and vigilance, being on the alert for, for dangers and risks and sounding the alarm if something happens. So pharmacovigilance, but medicine safety is probably an easier, easier phrase. Um, and in particular, he, for nearly 20 years, was the director uh, of a center in Uppsala in Sweden, which is the World Health Organization's hub for medicine safety. So as we'll probably talk about later on, um, whenever anyone, pretty much anywhere in the world, reports a problem or a side effect or an adverse reaction or something to any kind of medical treatment through the national international system, which Rafe did an enormous amount to set up, that report or the data from it eventually ends up at this center in Sweden. And, and he led it from a very, very small team. I think there were four people there when he joined into becoming this really sort of world, world-leading uh, global hub for trying to make medicines as safe as they can be. Uh, interesting. Um, it sounds like a great topic right now, um, particularly with what's going on in the United States um, with the Food and Drug Administration. So yeah, um, yeah. it would be very interesting for readers. And of course, the you know the global experience of the coronavirus and COVID has sort of really put this issue right at the top of people's interests and in, in concerns and awareness in, in a way that it never was before. So the very rapid development of vaccines to uh, try and protect populations against COVID has necessarily raised a huge amount of questions and issues and, as I said, just greater attention around just how safe are medicines and depending on how, how they've been tested uh, and under what conditions. So, yeah. What? Is it or what? What it has? What has it been like um, to write about someone who's alive? Um, what uh, is is this an authorized biography? Did you use oral histories? Um, did you allow him to read it? Did he have objections? Um, the answer to most of those is yes, except for the last one. So no, I mean I worked very very closely with with Rafe on this. I mean the original plan 
was that the book would be published actually by the center I mentioned, the Uppsala Monitoring Center, for various reasons. Uh, in the end, it was decided to publish it sort of privately or directly rather by, by Springer, who are the biggest uh, medical publishers in the world. Um, but no, it was very much a collaborative effort with Rafe in particular. So I spent many, many hours. At home. He lives in Sweden, so even though he's English, he lived in Sweden for many years. Um, so I spent many hours with him recording conversations, um, a fair amount of background research and reading and talking to other people. Because, I mean, I think one of the great themes of this book is the collaborative effort that goes on to create something that is truly global in its reach. So people all over the world have contributed and there's various um, sort of first-hand accounts from different people with, within the book. Um, but so, yes, absolutely authorized, uh, very much a, a joint effort between particularly Rafe, but then as we'll probably also talk about in a minute, I mean, one of the slightly unusual things is that after he stepped down as director of the center in Uppsala, he was actually replaced by his wife, a lady called Marie or Lindquist, Swedish pharmacologist. So that's pretty unusual for that to happen in, in, in organizations. Um, but for a whole host of reasons, she was the right person to um, uh, replace him. And she'd been one of the founding members of, of the center. So there's a bit of a love story in there as well, I think, in terms of their, of their relationships. And a chap also called Bruce Hugman, another Englishman who worked for in this area for many years. And he's very much the communications expert because although we're in the realms of medical science here communications is a massive part of this and once again i think the covid experience is, a, is an example of that is that it's all very well having the science but unless people know about it or know what to do with that information so the communications task of medicine safety is an enormous priority so yeah as well as rafe there's at least two other sort of key key uh, characters that crop up a lot in the book and as i said a whole supporting cast of people all over the world well, were you able to do oral histories with all of them? Or not not all directly. I mean, I spoke to a lot of people. Um, I wasn't able to uh, sit down with everyone. It, it, so quite a lot of it was done done remotely. Um, but yes, I collated uh, either written or, or over the phone or, or online conversations with uh, lots and lots of different people from different countries. Yeah. Was there ever a moment when you thought, oh, I wish this person here so I could write X? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think the honest answer is no. Um, I mean, inevitably, some people strike a slightly different chord, perhaps or, you know, take you by surprise with some of the things that they say. I mean, I think one of the things that's both interesting and impressive about Rafe is that he is an incredibly um, forceful personality, and and that's that's how he's been able to, you know, pretty much from scratch create create this this system of global drug monitoring that exists today. I mean, he really is someone who makes things happen. Unsurprisingly, you know, when you have a personality like that, occasionally he can rub people up the wrong way as well, or you know, people perhaps you know don't always react react to that as well. So he's made many many friends over the world, but a few people have you know found him difficult or you know perhaps too. Uh, directive uh, in in his approach so I guess sometimes but people were very honest and actually you know he was he wanted them to be honest and he, he would be the first to admit to you know his faults as we all have so I think there were occasions when people had some critical things to say about him but that's that's part of the story and they, those are in the book as well and Rafe is very happy for them to be. Oh your reader does not need to be schooled in medical technology and the like is that correct? Absolutely so, and because I because I certainly wasn't. I mean, and and my the challenge I found here was to because I mean some of this stuff as we may come on to in a minute is quite complicated data science, so artificial intelligence, 
uh, neural networks and pretty you know high powered stuff uh, which i had very little knowledge of indeed i think i think my task as the author was to try and understand it enough or to the level that i could then explain it in plain terms to 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 an, to an everyday reader and we deliberately from the start tried to write a book that what wouldn't just be about the the nitty-gritty of the science it was a human story and yes something i think that people would find some resonance with even if it, even if they're not involved in in it because i mean there's what eight eight billion people almost on this planet virtually all of us will will take medicines at some point during our lives i mean obviously we take those things in the hope that they'll help us and heal us but and this is what rafe and marie in particular have devoted their lives to i mean we also need to be aware that those same substances can and do cause harm and can and do kill i mean you're from the united states victoria so the, uh Amongst adult deaths, um, deaths related to medicines is the fifth highest cause of adult deaths in the USA. And across the world, it, I mean, about two and a half million people die every year from uh, side effects or adverse reactions of some sort to medicines or medical treatments of one form or another. And we're not just talking about sort of traditional healthcare medicines here. I mean, their work at the center also spans herb, herbal remedies, natural remedies, alternative medicines. So um, of which, of course, there are a vast, vast number. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I, I recently about an AIDS that was almost grown. I mean, the numbers of this are quite staggering, really. I mean, in the UK, the National Health Service in the UK in 2022 issued 1.14 billion prescriptions. So given that the UK has only got a population of about uh, 65 million, that, that works out about 17 prescriptions every single person in the year. And obviously it's heavily skewed to older people and people with ongoing health conditions. So if you've got 1.14 billion prescriptions, um, I mean, uh, even a tenth of 1% of, of some kind of problem, that would still be well over a million people. Um, uh, and even a thousandth of one percent. I mean, that's still uh, you know eleven and a half thousand people who are adversely affected in some way. So the numbers, when you multiply that up by the countries in the world which have much bigger populations, India, China, you know, South America. I mean, the numbers are pretty mind-boggling in terms of just how much data they are working with to spot patterns. And I'm sure many people listening to this will will remember the problems that arose in the 1950s and 60s with the drug thalidomide and the birth defects that that caused in in because mothers would take the drug um, to try as a cure or to uh, diminish the effects of uh, morning sickness, and unfortunately, it, because it wasn't known that that was a risk, that started to cause these drug uh, sorry birth defects. But because they were spread all across the world, and there were about 10,000 children affected by that across the world, it took a long time for, it, for people to work out what was causing this, this, these problems. And it was only a, an Australian doctor, actually, who finally pinpointed the, uh, the cause of it. And it was that that led to this global system being created, is that to try and avoid that happening again, where a, a drug used in good faith, uh, it took a long time to pick up that it was having these really catastrophic um, health impacts on unborn children. How much yep. of this is biography? Yeah, we 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 um denied really about whether this is a biography. I mean, it certainly does tell the whole of Rafe's life so far. I mean, um, as I said, he's 80, 80 this year and still very much uh, fit and active. Um, but also, it, it tells the the life story really of the the area of science that he worked in and Maria worked in and 
their pivotal role in, 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 in driving it forward. As I said, this was a really niche area of science, you know, even if you just go back to the 1950s and 60s with the issues I mentioned with thalidomide, and it's really grown over that last sort of 60, 70 years or so. Uh, and they and Rafe has been an absolutely world-leading figure in making that happen, in particular in turning it into a global effort. I mean, originally, it tended just to be developed nations that were working on this, but his achievement in creating systems that that, that, that can detect problems in just about every country on Earth. I mean, there's only about a couple of dozen countries that are, that are not now members of the World Health Organization's program for drug monitoring. So his and other people's um, success in driving this, you know, throughout the world is is a fantastic story, actually, and, and a real testament to his energy and the abilities of other people. So he studied at uh, University of Birmingham Medical School, uh, had various hospital jobs in the UK, and then he rather bravely went off to work in what was then Rhodesia, uh, pretty much at the height of the uh, the Bush War there and the independence. And he was there when Rhodesia uh, became independent and was obviously renamed Zimbabwe. And from there, ne- never a man to uh, stand still in life. He went right off the other side of the world to work in New Zealand for a number of years, where they, to this day, have a very, very well-developed and very integrated approach to any kind of poisons, including medicines, uh, and then from New Zealand to Sweden, uh, where he met Marie, and as I said, eventually they married, um, and then between them led the organization for 30 years. So tell me about her. Marie, yeah. So uh, I mean this in the nicest possible way, very Swedish, so tall, elegant, <laughs> um, you know, sharp, sharp as a tack, intellectually, very, very focused person. I mean, very different person to Rafe because I said earlier on that Rafe is a sort of very driven person and, and you meet Marie and she's much sort of quieter and calmer and yet still absolutely is determined. So between them, they make a very powerful couple actually uh, and still are. I mean, they, even though they're both retired from their professional jobs at the center, they're still very, very active in different aspects, editing journals, speaking at conferences. So they remain, you know, big, big figures in this area. And as I said, they are a terrific foil for each other um so as i said marie trained as a pharmacologist uh, and i think slightly reluctantly actually became a an organizational leader i don't think it was something she really thought was her skill set but she turned into a very very effective leader in her own right in a completely different way to rafe i mean whereas rafe is someone who will tackle things head on and just keep cracking away at them uh, marie's a sort of rather sort of more cool operator who will sort of go around the sides of problems and influence in, in a quieter way and yet still absolutely get things done. So as I said, they're, they're a formidable duo between them. So out of all of those documents, what part of the book stands out most for you? What's the, the key moment? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, th- I think some of the things we've already talked about, I mean, the, 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 it is, this is a, a genuinely global achievement that he and other people are involved in and those are rare there aren't many and now particularly even less so than before I and mean, if you go back to things like i don't know the space race and so on there was elements of global either competition or cooperation but things that have a genuinely global reach are pretty rare and this is definitely one of them there's a i think a gripping tale in one of the chapters where rafe had become aware that a anti-malaria drug drug the the short version of which was called lapdap was being marketed in uh, africa in various countries in africa and he started sort of querying how and it was particularly used for use for children against malaria he started querying how the drug company had got informed consent for the trials of this drug 
And the more he dug into this, the, the more alarmed he became that actually there was not proper provisions in place for informed consent and that the numbers of people taking the drug just could not match up with you know proper sort of protocols. So he, he and a Danish um, investigative journalist uh, took themselves off to Kenya to just try and personally to track this down. So it almost turns into this sort of espionage type story. And it's uncanny. I don't know if you've ever read or seen the film of a book by John le Carre called The Constant Gardener. It is almost exactly that story of, you know, pretty, uh, should we say, uh, questionable practices going on in developing countries by pharmaceutical companies and then the kind of risks and problems that that, that occurs. So him and um, Mats, the Danish journalist, spent time in Kenya really just trying to track down examples of what was going on so yeah, it's, it does read like a spy, spy thriller almost. So for me, that is in terms of just pure storytelling, a standout thing. And it says a lot about Rafe. I think that he's not someone just to sit in his office and write papers about this stuff. He got on a plane and took himself off to Kenya <laughs> to try and track this down. And so it says, speaks a lot, I think, of his kind of energy and commitment. You know, if you had three takeaways um, that you would yeah. want all your readers to come away with, what would they be? It was interesting, actually, Victoria. Uh, uh, quite recently, I was just doing a short, presentation about this book at a local um writers group and there were there were two kind of reactions really i mean people were interested to know that this this monitoring system exists and obviously i think particularly in the in the wake of their experiences through covid people were sort of saying we know why why don't we know this stuff why don't we know that this system exists or what to do so i think the first takeaway would be you know if 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 you are about to take or have been taking any kind of medicine or any medical treatment or any supplements it's important to know what, what it is you're taking. I mean, not that all of us would understand the chemical makeup of substances, but at least to be clear about what it is you're actually putting in, inside yourself um, and why why that happens. And as you said earlier on, what the correct dose and regularity and indeed course of treatment is as well. Because, I mean, I think people, possibly myself included, are a bit blasé about that. You know, what's the difference between one paracetamol and two? Well, quite a lot. Um, so observing those things and, of course, there is pretty much limitless potential for any anything we consume, whether it's food or um, medicine, to interact with other things in our body. So there can be things in our diet, in our physiological makeup, in our environment um, that can interact in some way. So um, once again, the COVID is a great example of that. Billions of people have taken those vaccines. Only a certain number of them have been affected by it. And it's that sort of disposition that people have that is changing all the time. So I think just to be aware, really, of, for a start, there is no medicine that is 100% safe or effective, um, and that there is always the potential for either the medicine itself or it interacting in some way to, call, to cause you harm. And really most important is if that happens, how important it is to report it. And you can either do that direct. I mean, most countries have a direct online reporting system now. So in the UK, it's called the Yellow Card systems as a yellow card app you can have on your phone to report it uh, or you can report via your physician so if it's your <laughs> excuse me consultant or general practitioner who's who has prescribed something you can report it via them i mean the rough estimate we can't be sure of course the rough estimate is that probably only about five percent of adverse reactions get reported uh, so if you go back to the numbers i talked about earlier on about two and a half million people that's only the known the known ones. So um, the the real uh, incidence of medicine related 
harm is probably much much greater um, so it is really important and i think over time then that that should be the great aim of humanity actually is if we are going to continue using medicines in the way we do that we need to take on board the responsibility to say when something goes wrong with them and i think the the final thing i've touched on this already is 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 a hopeful message actually because i do think this is a great example of what can be achieved when nations really do work together because uh, so I mean if you take for example the comparison with how international cooperation is going on climate change at the moment i mean that's a pretty patchy and, and gradual of, um, process whereas by comparison the speed at which this um, system global system was put in place to try and prevent things like the thalidomide um, problems happening again was remarkably quick it happened you know within a, a decade or so from a standing start so i think it is a great great example of what really can be achieved when you have that kind of drive and leadership and common ground that this is something we all need we all need to work together on if i can be permitted another takeaway i think that is another take or learning point for me in writing this book is just how incredibly finely judged some of these decisions are because as you say no announcement around the safety of a drug is consequence free so the moment you say there is a problem with this drug then inevitably not only does that affect people's use of it but it also then starts to affect the drug companies you know operating systems which means that they they that may be better or able or less able to to develop new drugs so it's so it's a really fine judgments involved in in it and no guarantee that you'll get them right Rafe, Rafe and Marie are now officially retired, but as I said, they absolutely remain very much involved in these um, in these areas. I mean, an, an, a, a project which they put a lot of time into uh, is run from Oslo is called Cause Health, and it's all about trying to understand the causality behind adverse reactions is that some people will be more disposed to being affected by medical treatments than others and it's about understanding what those variables are right down to the individual and indeed you know how that individual will change over time so somebody's disposition towards medical problems when they're 15 will be different to when they're 50 um and that actually takes you more in, more into philosophy than than uh, the medical science so it's there's, a, there's some areas of this which are very very advanced thinking and as i said also particularly around uh, data science as well so in many ways the work that rafe and his colleagues in sweden did were absolutely in in the front of big data and artificial intelligence and clearly that has the potential now to um to revolutionize healthcare in terms of how of how predictive systems are used where do you think the science of medicine safety is going now and where do you think it will be going um some, some of the things, I mean, particularly artificial intelligence, we've already mentioned. I mean, I think some of the really exciting stuff, and I'm certainly no expert to talk about it, but I'm aware of it, is is in materials, particularly nanotechnology scale materials. So, I mean, once again, some people may, may remember in the 1960s, there was a film made, I think it was called The Fantastic Voyage, where a team of scientists were shrunk to the size of a blood cell in a little submarine and sent off around someone's, someone's body. I mean, that is already effectively happening, not not little submarines, but I mean, you know, nanotechnology is being used to send uh, interventions into people's bodies now. And obviously, as new materials are developed to take the place of some of the organic materials that have previously been used in in medicines, then I think that does have some really interesting potential. Once again, though, there there will be risks attached to that. So if you are going to start uh, putting nano atom-sized uh, stuff into people's bodies there there will be an effect of some sort so i think that could be the sort of next whole sort of realm really for pharmacovigilance is tracking and understanding 
the impact of that over time as well because we just don't know at the moment we know it's possible to do it but there's not enough data at the moment to see what the long-term effects of that might be good um so what are some of the lessons um for science for industry um and society yeah I mean, I think it comes back to this point about making change again, really. I mean, Rafe is very uh, honest and uh, clear about just how incredibly frustrating he, at a time he has found bureaucracy in, in, in all its forms. So right from his early days working in hospitals where, you know, you get this kind of hierarchical tier of decision making um, up to and including when he's working as part of and with the World Health Organization, bureaucracies for all the things that they achieve do carry with them a fair degree of inertia so i think there's a there's a there's a lesson in this book for how to deal with that uh or ways in which some ways in which to deal with it. i'm not sure there's a perfect answer but it, it, it that bureaucracy can be um i wouldn't say overcome but it can be turned to advantage and there are techniques that you that work better than ever and as i said the comparison between the leadership and influencing styles of Rafe and Marie are a great case study in that is that Marie was absolutely able to achieve some things that Rafe wasn't through her different style so I think there's there's a real theme that runs right through the book about how do you make change and particularly where there are either vested interests stacked up against you or people who are at least or at best you know uncooperative or perhaps unconvinced that they want to make the change so I think that's the theme that runs through the book that's that's great um, so tell me um, about uh, who you rely on um, as you're writing. Um, you recently showed me a publicity picture with a with a group of you. Um, what's your props? Um, do you do you workshop your work? Do you not workshop your work? When do you share? When do you write? Um, I, I, I suppose my practice has been developing in, in quite recently, uh, Victoria. I guess I sent, tended in the past to be quite a sort of solo solo writer. I mean, over the last few years, and particularly through being involved with the Oxford Centre for Life Writing at the University of Oxford, I mean, I really have come to value the collaborative aspect of um, of writing and sharing and giving and receiving open critical feedback at every stage. Um, and it's extraordinary how different sets of eyes can look onto work and just see either see something different in it or see see opportunities that perhaps you hadn't seen yourself and even connections you hadn't seen yourself so i very much value and enjoy both, both sides actually both the giving and receiving of of uh, feedback around around writing so what are you what what next what are you working on because on on the very first time i was in Uppsala in sweden to meet Rafe, uh, literally the first day, we went out for a walk at lunchtime, and as we were walking down the main street in Uppsala, he pointed across to an older building, and he said, that's where Professor Celsius used to work. So I said, oh, what, you mean Celsius as in temperature scale? And he said, yes. And so that's what I'm now doing. I'm writing a biography of uh, Professor Anders Celsius, who lived in the 18th century, uh, the man who, who gave us the temperature scale that most of the world uses. Um, and obviously also that scale is what now frames the whole debate around climate change and this idea that we're going to try and uh, contain the increase in average temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, compared to pre, pre-industrial levels. So that's been a really nice spin-off and I'm actually going over to Sweden again quite, quite soon to sort of complete my research on that, go and visit some more of the places where Celsius worked. And then, um, I mean, once again, I've got no real background in medical matters but i mean an area i am interested in is the whole and once again current debate around assisted and voluntary dying uh and i i'm hoping to do a piece of work 
around the sort of working title of it is the words we need to die because i think i mean obviously some countries do have more progressive laws around voluntary and assisted dying and i think as that becomes more widespread and i think it is inexorable that it will in some ways changing the law is the easy bit i think the kind of social attitudes and the behaviors and the permissions that we bring to how we deal with that personally and within families and as collectives that is going to be a significant issue so yeah i'm interested in doing some work around yeah as i said just how we talk about broker deal with and communicate around assisted dying so yeah that's the next that's the next project i think that's great that's that it sounds like a really worthwhile project um do you ever think about going back to housing issues and oh well i, I still do still do work in in housing and, and actually one of the sort of if there is a link between all this at different stages of my life and career i mean the kind of housing i've been involved in sort of social housing particularly for people on low incomes who for whatever reason wouldn't be able to afford to buy or rent at market rates i mean the origins of that movement uh, were absolutely health health based so particularly around cholera cholera epidemics it was to try and provide better living conditions that that was a public health uh, initiative originally so there is a link there which almost goes full circle because um i mean right now once again in the uk particularly there's a lot of concern about how some of the sort of poor quality uh, or more affordable homes in in the country have been allowed the conditions have deteriorated as and also as poverty has increased so it's small come full circle people now with people's health and their relationship to their home being you know back very much in in the in the picture well i think that's a wonderful place to end back full circle um from housing to health <laughs> and it sounds like you've got some wonderful projects ahead of you and um Thanks. i look forward to interviewing you about um celsius We'll make a date for that, Victoria. That would be lovely. And thank you for your support that you've given uh, through that project as well. So, uh, but no, that's been great to talk to you about it. And you've asked some very uh, penetrating questions there, which do go to the heart of it. So thank you. Thank you so much. 